Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor. They're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're going to love them. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on blood clotting. I go through different labs that can help you understand if you're at risk for developing some sort of a clot, perhaps issues with blood viscosity or kind of thickness and poor blood flow and circulation. You're going to understand the warning signs. You're going to understand labs that can help you determine if this is happening in your body. And I'm going to go through the best natural strategies to improve your circulation, to improve your blood viscosity, and to reduce your risk of blood clotting. You guys are going to love this information. Please share it with anybody that you know that's interested in improving their cardiovascular health. And also leave us a five-star review. Just scroll to the bottom of your Apple iTunes podcast player. That's where you can leave the review. When you leave us reviews, that actually helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Hey guys, today we're talking about blood clotting, the symptoms, causes, and support strategies. So what are you going to learn? You're going to learn about blood viscosity or kind of the thickness of your blood. We're going to talk about symptoms and risk factors for blood clotting. We're going to talk about the root causes behind blood clotting. We're going to talk about key labs, things that you can actually ask your physician to run that would show a predisposition 
to blood clotting or show poor blood viscosity. And this is really important to understand. We're also going to talk about support strategies for optimal blood viscosity. And so as you guys know, this video is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. And it's for informational purposes only. The video is not a treatment protocol and does not replace a consultation with a healthcare practitioner. You are fully responsible for what you do or don't do with the information in this presentation. So with that said, let's talk about blood viscosity. It is the ease at which blood flows. We know whole blood contains red blood cells and proteins, and it's five times as vicious as water, meaning five times as thick okay, and gelatinous as just free-flowing water. The more red blood cells and the more proteins that are in the blood, the more viscous the blood is going to be. So what kind of proteins can be in there? Things like C-reactive protein, right? An inflammatory protein, for example, right? So you have other proteins like albumin that's kind of carrying uh, more of a carrier protein. So you have carrier proteins. You also have immunoglobins, right? And you have um, you know white blood cells, which are proteins. So you have immune proteins and you have carrier proteins. Typically, that's what's going to be in there. And we know hematocrit is the ratio. So when you look at your blood work and you see HCT or hematocrit, it's the ratio of the volume of red blood cells to the total value of blood. That should always be under 45%. If it's up over 45%, it's a sign that your blood is very viscous. So things that impact the viscosity, hydration levels, so how well hydrated you are, your inflammation levels, your fasting insulin, so the amount of insulin in your blood, more insulin creates more viscosity. The amount of glycation of your red blood cells. So we know that when blood sugar's high, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins and create sticky proteins that are highly reactive. And they also create more viscosity and more inflammation in the system. The amount of triglycerides, right? Triglycerides, again, are are fatty acids, so more triglycerides in the blood, more viscous is going to be. The amount of platelet aggregation, uh, of course, you know your hematocrit, like I talked about. Um, your the the deformity of the red blood cells from glycation, and the overall viscosity of your plasma. So those are the key things that play a role in there. And then you know when our heart beats, we call that systole, or you know when you look at your blood pressure. We have our systolic, which is number on the top, and our diastolic, which is when the heart's at rest, at the bottom. And we know that during the systole phase, the systolic phase, blood flows faster and it's less vicious. When the heart relaxes during that diastole phase, blood flows slower. Slow-moving blood is more viscous, and there's a whole lot of factors like we talked about, glycation, insulin, right, immunoglobins, the aggregation or... The, the charge of the red blood cells. So red blood cells, you know, should be negatively charged and they should be not, um, you know, they should repel each other. And, uh, and so sometimes they lose their natural charge as they age and they will clump, right? And so that's a, a big factor here as well in the viscosity. And so risk factors for blood clotting. Yeah, obviously people that are older, family history of blood clots, sitting continuously for greater than four hours, having extensive bed rest, a sedentary lifestyle, being obese, smoking, pregnancy, taking birth control pills, and having a bad infection uh, are all factors because they're going to drive up inflammation in the system. And uh, taking birth control pills can also, has been shown, 
uh, you know, can, can impact B vitamin levels and some other factors that can end up leading to blood clotting. So signs and symptoms of a blood clot. So we know that skin that's warm to the touch, swelling, pain or tenderness not caused by injury, coughing up blood, difficulty breathing, chest pain that worsens with a deep breath or cough. So these things can be signs of uh, pulmonary embolism. So we also have another condition, deep vein thrombrosis, which is a blood clot in the leg or the arm. So you might have swelling in that case, pain or tenderness that's not caused by an injury, redness or discoloration of the skin and skin that's really warm to the touch, right? Because there's more inflammation in that area where the clot is. So if you have some of these major symptoms, always a good sign, always a good idea, call 911 and seek immediate medical attention. Now, diagnosing blood clots. So the diagnosis process, you know, medical history and physical exam, right? There's a number of different tests that are done, blood chemistry studies, um, a duplex ultrasonography, MRI, CT scans, right? They're going to do a lot of different things to look at this and how to diagnose it. Now, from a functional perspective, what am I looking at? I am looking at insulin resistance. I'm looking for signs of possible iron overload, which is actually very common. We're going to look at chronic infections, vitamin D deficiency, omega-6 to 3 ratios, B vitamin deficiencies, heavy metal exposure, gut dysbiosis, and high stress, poor sleep, and a sedentary lifestyle. These are the big factors that lead to blood clotting here. And so signs of insulin resistance, well, you tend to be overweight, you have trouble losing weight, and craving sweets after meals, really, really common. You eat a meal, but you you know you just don't have your craving satisfied, even though you ate a lot of food. And then you have something sweet and you want more because it still didn't relieve your cravings. Oftentimes you feel very fatigued after meals, very common sign of insulin resistance. And you may have hormone problems like PCOS, for example. For males, they tend to have low testosterone because they elevate a hormone called, or a uh, an enzyme called aromatase which converts testosterone into estrogen. Whereas with females, oftentimes high insulin or insulin resistance will actually cause high testosterone and lead to things like acne and polycystic ovarian syndrome. Any kind of major skin changes, acne, skin tags, skin pigmentation, all can be signs of high insulin or insulin resistance. And then high blood pressure and high triglycerides are big factors. And we know that when there's inflammation or when there's insulin resistance, okay, drives up inflammatory factors, things like tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin-6, which drive up C-reactive protein, which increases overall inflammation in the body, damages the arterial beds, creates uh, more blood viscosity, higher blood pressure, and increases the risk of heart disease, stroke, and heart attack. And so top four blood markers for blood viscosity and blood clotting. This is what I look at on labs. We're going to look at hematocrit, which you're going to get pretty much on every, you know, like any uh, complete blood count, most inexpensive test out there that everybody has gotten at some point. You're going to get the whole blood volume of red blood cells. Men should normally be between 39 and 45%. Women between 37 and 44%. Anything over 45% is a concern for reduced blood viscosity. And if it's trending up higher, right, in that 44% range, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a significant issue. However, you obviously want to look at some other factors. There could be a reduced overall blood viscosity that we need to look at. 
So fibrinogen is a really good test to look at. It's a protein produced in the liver that activates blood clotting. Anything over 285 milligrams per deciliter is a possible concern for reduced blood viscosity and increased clotting. We get a look at platelets. Platelets are associated with increased inflammation. So when you have high platelets, it's a sign of inflammation and reduced blood viscosity. Very high levels, like over 400, can be a sign of a coagulation disorder called thrombocytosis. But in that range of like 250 to 400, that's a concern for reduced blood viscosity and increased clotting. So typically with platelets, should be between 150 and 250, right? So I'm looking at 150 to 250 in that range. And if it's under 150, it could be thrombocytopenia, where you uh, are not producing enough platelets. So ESR, or the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, it's a common hematology test to look for inflammation. It refers to the rate at which your red blood cells in an anticoagulated whole blood go down in a standardized tube. So the blood you know, should go down, um, the red blood cells should go down in a standardized tube and, uh, you know, should go at a, at a pretty good rate, should be less than 10, 10 millimeters per hour for good blood viscosity levels. All right. And so anything up over 10 millimeters per hour is a sign that the blood's very vicious and very, you know, it's sticking together. It's not moving and separating effectively. So those are things we're looking at. And then on top of that, you know, we want to look at again, blood sugar levels. So your hemoglobin A1C, I like to see that under five, you know, ideally, ideally under five, certainly under 5.2, ideally under five, your fasting glucose levels. So, you know, that should definitely be under a hundred, um, you know, and so sometimes, you know, it's 99 or whatever, not overly concerned about it. If the fasting insulin is low, if that's under five or six, right? Should ideally be around two to five, maybe two to six. And your hemoglobin A1C again, under 5.2, then your fasting glucose is less significant, okay? There's something called your HOMA IR score, which kind of looks at your overall, um, your the homeostasis between your glucose and insulin levels. And so if you have higher fasting glucose, but lower fasting insulin, it's okay, you know, it's it's a sign that you have a little bit more stress hormones in the morning that are glucocorticoids, meaning that they increase the amount of glucose in the blood, right? But your body is not dealing with insulin resistance and that's that's okay. Um, you know, and it will come down with, with activity, with, you know, as you get going with your day, things like that, your glucose will stabilize better. Inflammatory markers, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, always like to see that under one, your LDH, which is lactose dehydrogenase, we like to see that between 140 and 180. High LDH is a sign of inflammation, could be uh, cardiovascular inflammation is a common reason for high LDH. Serum ferritin, that's another important, important thing to look at, okay, and that's a sign of oxidative stress and inflammation, should always be under 150. Homocysteine, which is a breakdown product of the amino acid methionine, should be converted into SAMe and uh, glutathione. And ideal range is somewhere around six to nine. Anything up over nine is a sign oftentimes of B vitamin and methylation issues. And higher homocysteine is gonna create more cardiovascular inflammation. And it's going to lead to uh, you know, more vicious blood or, or poor blood viscosity and higher risk of clotting. 
And then of course your lipid panel, looking at LDL, HDL triglycerides. Most important thing to look at there is really your triglyceride to HDL ratio, which should always be under two, meaning should never have more than two parts triglyceride to one part HDL and ideally about one, right? So if your triglycerides are 80, your HDL ideally is, you know, 70, 80, somewhere in that range. Okay. So like a one to one ratio, or even in some cases, a little bit more HDL than triglycerides, you know, if triglycerides drop below 40 or 50 could be a sign of malnutrition, but that's so rare. You basically almost never see that on labs unless somebody is, you know, has been uh, in, a, in a place of starvation or something like that. So, you know, typically you're looking around a one-to-one ratio, ideally, and certainly under two-to-one ratio of triglycerides to HDL. Not as concerned about LDL, VLDL, really not as concerned about those things. Obviously, they'll test them. But most important thing is your triglyceride to HDL ratio. So that's what we want to look at. Now, strategies to help improve blood flow and blood viscosity eating anti-inflammatory foods, an anti-inflammatory diet in general, coming off of grains, coming off of fried foods that are fried in processed vegetable oils that have corn, safflower, sunflower, soybean, cottonseed oil, right? Things like that. You want to get those things out of the diet. Stop eating you know, fast food, grain-fed meats, eggs, fast food, soda pop. Instead, we want to really focus on grass-fed, pasture-raised animal products, non-starchy vegetables, wild-caught fish, uh, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, fermented vegetables, lots of herbs like ginger, turmeric, basil, oregano, thyme, rosemary, sage, garlic, onions, and chives. These things are so rich in polyphenols and sulfur compounds and um, you know different compounds that help kill off bad bacteria, that support digestive health, that reduce inflammation in the body. So we want to be consuming those things, okay? Bone broth, vegetable broth, right? All super good for the body. These are things that we want to be consuming uh, on a regular basis. Green tea, right? Would be another good thing that you can consume on a regular basis. Now, fasting, intermittent fasting, and also potentially even extended fasting, but certainly intermittent fasting, like condensing your eating window into, let's say eight hours between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., right? And if you can, even pushing it to six hours where you're consuming between, let's say, 12 p.m. and 6 p.m., really powerful what it actually does. So it stimulates autophagy. We know that, which is where the body breaks down old damaged cellular debris, right? So for example, mitochondria that produce all the energy in the cells, they become damaged by oxidative stress. And we go in, our, our, our innate intelligence will go in, break down the older damaged mitochondria and recycle it and turn it into new, healthy, stress-resilient mitochondria when we're in this fasted state and insulin goes down. So fasting improves heart health by decreasing inflammation and oxidative stress. It improves mitochondrial health. It enhances insulin sensitivity, improves your overall cholesterol and triglycerides. So that triglyceride to HDL ratio, one of the best things you can do is intermittent fasting. You burn up excess body fat, you repair dysfunctional cells, you improve your blood pressure and you strengthen your blood vessels. So really, really powerful what it does for heart health. Hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal. If you're like me, you grew up eating cereal, but you stopped eating it because you knew the ingredients were driving up massive inflammation in your body, but you still miss it. You still wish you could have that good, sweet crunch. And that is why I wanted to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal, which is a grain-free 
keto-friendly cereal with ingredients you can actually trust. It is a treat reminiscent of your childhood with a satisfying crunch and value-added ingredients like collagen and MCTs. I love the cinnamon and the honey nut flavor. And again, it is grain-free. No wheat, no oats, no rice, no corn, no, you know, nothing that's going to spike your blood sugar. In fact, it only has one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. You know, an equal amount of traditional cereal can have up to 25, 30, even 40 grams of net carbs in one serving with barely any protein, fat, or dietary fiber. That is just going to massively blast your blood sugar, but not perfect keto. Again, one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. And you know what kind of protein they have? They have collagen protein that they've added in there along with MCTs. The collagen helps support your joints. It helps support your skin, your hair, your nails, and helps to heal and seal your gut lining. The MCTs turn into ketones in your bloodstream, which balances your blood sugar and stabilizes your insulin levels. You guys are going to love this cereal. You can check it out at perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Again, that's perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Check it out today. So ways to do intermittent fasting, you know, on a regular basis, I recommend doing a 12 to 14 hour fast for sure. It's a great way to start simple to brunch fast and then pushing it, you know, and everybody's different. I find that most men, it's pretty easy to do 16, 16, 18 hour fast. You might have a week of uncomfortability. If you're used to not doing that, if you're used to eating, you know, and let's say a 12 hour window. So maybe a week of uncomfortability, but your body will adapt pretty quickly. However, I do see that young menstruating females that are also very active, right? They exercise a lot and they're also, you know, living a stressful lifestyle. Maybe they have a career or they have kids. Oftentimes, not always, sometimes they do great with a 16 to 18 hour fast, but sometimes they struggle with it. And that's because their body fat, their, their body is very sensitive to a certain threshold of body fat. And when it drops below that, their, their, their signals for fertility and, and production of certain hormones decline rapidly. And that can cause hair loss. That can cause fatigue, low libido, right? A lot of different issues like that. And um, we don't want to do that. So what I find is doing something like a crescendo fast, where we're doing 16 hour fast, two days a week, non-consecutive days can be really great for helping improve insulin sensitivity, getting the benefits of autophagy, right? So breaking down some of those older damaged mitochondria, becoming more metabolically flexible without overstressing, overwhelming the system. And when you're able to do that two non-consecutive days, let's say like Monday and Friday, and you feel good with it, then we'll try the cycle fast where we're doing it three times a week, right? Like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for example. So we can really ramp up autophagy and fat burning, take that to the next level. And again, most men and, uh, you know, most overweight uh, females actually do pretty good with a strong fast, 16 to 18 hours daily. Um, you know, as we transition into that, the body will start to burn up that excess fat. Uh, your body will start to repair, become much more metabolically flexible. You'll feel significantly better. And for some individuals, they may want to do an even tighter window 
to decrease inflammation in their body and improve cellular repair. And that's what we call the warrior fast, where it's like a 19 to 21 hour fast. You're eating your meals in a, you know, three to five hour eating window. Okay. And then you could even try a one day fast, right? And this is something that I personally do every week. I do a one day fast, meaning I fast for, for roughly 24 hours. I do it from Wednesday lunchtime to Thursday lunchtime. And I feel amazing. It's so rejuvenating and regenerating on the body, right? All those cells, mitochondria are being regenerated, just feels great. Now, health benefits of blood donation. So for some individuals, right? If your hematocrit is high, okay? Your hemoglobin levels are high. You may have um, high iron, right? And you can also test your iron as well. And that is a sign that, you know, you may have a trend towards higher, higher iron levels. And you also may have a condition called um, hemochromatosis as well, which is a genetic condition that causes you to absorb more iron in the system. And iron, too much iron, iron obviously is critical for production of red blood cells, but too much iron will oxidize and create more oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. So regular blood donation is a way to get rid of some of this excess iron, right? And it lowers the risk of blood clotting. So it hel helps to improve the viscosity for certain individuals. Obviously, if you're anemic, if your ferritin levels are under 50, your red blood cells are under four, your hemoglobin is under 14, your hematocrit is under 40%, you should not donate blood. But if your hematocrit is up you know, 45% or higher, it could be a really good, good thing for you to do to donate blood or get regular blood work, right? Where they're pulling blood out. And that can be really, really powerful because again, too much iron, too much oxidative stress. It's going to age you faster. And it's also going to increase your risk of clots. Vitamin D, vitamin D is super critical for having good blood viscosity. 75 to 80% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. And that's that deficiency is under 30 nanograms per milliliter. We're not even talking about optimal levels. And vitamin D is super critical for good blood viscosity, for keeping inflammation under control. So, so critical. Okay. And so how do we improve our vitamin D? Well, we can eat things like pasture-raised eggs, grass-fed liver, fatty fish, but they really only have limited amounts of vitamin D. Obviously getting in the sun 10 to 15 minutes at least a day at peak sun exposure, like, you know, between 10 AM and 2 PM, for example, with at least 40% of your skin exposed. So laying out at, you know, at the pool or at the beach or whatever, walking around with your shirt off, that's how you're going to get enough vitamin D. But most of us are not able to do that on a regular basis when certainly not, you know, all year round for most people. So this is where vitamin D supplementation comes in. And it's really critical that we're testing our vitamin D levels. I recommend doing testing, you know, at least once a year, if not twice, we know that under 50 nanograms per milliliter is, def is deficient from a functional perspective, right? <clears throat> so, you know, from a optimal perspective, we want to be in that 50 to 70 range. In some cases, we want to push it up over 70, right? In the 70 to 100 nanogram per milliliter range. Um, and, you know, excess would be up over 100, although I don't really get concerned until it's up over 150, right? So if you're roughing, roughly around 120, 125, I don't get concerned. However, I would say you can discontinue using vitamin D supplements for, you know, a month or two. Um, you know, while your levels come back down, right? So you just 
swallow less pills, right? You take less supplements. That's what you do. You don't freak out or get concerned about it. Now, we know movement's super critical for good blood flow. So getting out, regular walking, moving your body on a regular basis, exercise, strength training, um, jogging, right? So getting a little bit of cardiovascular, whether it's walking or jogging or even sprinting, and then also strength training. So that's my favorite form of exercise is strength training because you really get the best benefits from putting on lean body tissue. And if you do it with short rest between sets, right, where you're doing a push exercise followed by a pull or doing squats and then doing, you know, a set of crunches right after the squats or something like that, then what happens is you keep your heart rate up, right? So you're getting cardiovascular benefit while you're building lean body tissue. And so that's why I love resistance training. So good for helping improve blood viscosity, improving overall circulation, tissue oxygenation, and then just moving often throughout the day and also getting your body grounded. So getting barefoot on grass, dirt, sand um, actually helps improve the charge of all the cells of your body, the electromagnetic gradient of all the cells of your body and will cause less clumping of red blood cells, right? And so getting out, getting your body grounded on grass, dirt, sand, you know, you always feel better. You're walking around on the beach, things like that. Always feel so much better. Well, you can do it on your grass too. Um, you know, even on concrete, right? So concrete will even uh, provide some of the, the negative ions and help improve your overall um, circulation and your overall, your, your body's uh, uh, electromagnetic charge. So super key. And you'll notice you'll just feel significantly better when you do that. I get out in the morning, every single morning, put my grab my feet on the grass, even when it's raining, um, try to get that, you know, just get grounded every morning. And then just throughout the day, just getting outside and doing that super key. Also, we want to keep the process of detoxification and elimination working well, meaning we want to pee and poop our way to good health, right? So hydrating your body really well, peeing a lot throughout the day, right? Pooping at least two times, at least once for sure, you know, ideally two to three times a day to, to really get rid of all the, the toxins that go through your gut. So if you eat three times a day, you really should be pooping probably three times a day, um, unless you just have one really large one, but you want to be getting these toxins out and moving them out of your body, you know, but somewhere between 12 to 24 hours, once something goes in your mouth, should be moved out of your body within 24 hours, ideally, or it's going to backlog, it's going to um, start to putrefy and cause more toxicity throughout your body and more inflammation. And that will, of course, affect your blood viscosity. You also want to prioritize good sleep. Keep your room cool. Keep your room as dark as possible. Use a sleep mask. Avoid caffeine within eight hours of sleeping. Don't eat within three hours of sleeping. So don't eat, don't exercise before you sleep. Exercise for sure, but doing, your, doing it during the day, not at night. Make sure you're getting good sun exposure during the day. At night, when it's dark, you dim your lights. Um, you use you know, more orange lights, like candlelight type, type of light that you can get, like a, a orange bulb. You can also wear blue light blocking glasses, which my family and I do to help reduce the melatonin suppression that comes from light. And then that helps set you up for a good sleep. When you're sleeping, keep the room cool. Um, keep the room as dark as possible and use that sleep mask. And that will really help. So some different supplements and nutrients that are critical for good blood flow, EPA and DHA. So your long chain omega-3 fatty acids that you get from wild caught fish, 
that you can get from krill, right? From seafood. Um, you can also get it from grass fed animal products, right? But the best sources are going to be fish and seafood, super critical for helping keep platelets under control, reducing clotting factors, fibrinogen, things like that in the blood and uh, improving overall circulation. So it's been well studied to be very, very beneficial for that. And typically it's the combination of DHA and EPA, right? We know DHA is really great for brain, eye health, right? And EPA really, really good for mood, for triglycerides, keeping triglycerides under control, joints and immune response, heart health, you know, it's really a good combination of both. Um, B vitamins, right? So we need to make sure we're getting enough B vitamins. B12 deficiency can be a factor when it comes to blood clotting. So consuming enough B vitamins, dark green leafies, eating things like organ meats, grass-fed meats, um, all critical, keeping your stomach acid levels optimal. Got to get the B vitamins. That's going to keep, you know, one way you know your B vitamins are down is if you test your homocysteine. Your homocysteine is over nine. That's a sign you're not methylating well, right? So B vitamins usually play a key role with that. Um, there are obviously some other factors. If you're looking at your complete blood count, you look at your mean corpuscular volume, your MCV, and that's up over 92, particularly up over 95. That's a sign, again, uh, oftentimes B12 folate deficiency that needs to be addressed. Now, probiotics. Probiotics are also very important because we know that inflammation, one of the major areas where we create inflammation is in our gut. And when our gut is dysbiotic, when we have a bad uh, or poor bacterial balance in our gut, we're going to create more inflammation. So probiotics can help weed and till the gut microbiome and get rid of a lot of the bad stuff, help support the good stuff and keep inflammation under control. Uh, sauna therapy, saunas have been shown to be really powerful for helping to improve overall blood viscosity. Why is that? Because they activate heat shock proteins, which break down damaged proteins. They break down, they, they activate autophagy, breaking down old damaged cell proteins, uh, things like C-reactive proteins, stuff like that. They increase your growth hormone, reduce your inflammation, improve circulation, improve insulin sensitivity, um, You know, particularly from a blood perspective. They improve thermoregulation. They improve overall blood flow and blood plasma volume. So real powerful stuff that takes place in the sauna, ideally infrared sauna, which penetrates really deep and you get the benefits of infrared as well as the heat from the sauna. Now, some enzymes, uh, or I should say some, some supplements here, systemic enzymes like proteolytic enzymes, really powerful because what they do is they break down circulating proteins. And so again, we know that more circulating proteins in the blood, right? So more... Al higher albumin levels, higher immunoglobins, higher inflammatory markers like interleukin-6. So these different cytokines, more cytokines in the blood, more viscous it's going to be. So systemic enzymes help break down those cytokines. And so they're going to help to thin down the blood. They're also going to help to your body get rid of infections. They break down bacteria, viruses, things like that, scar tissue, um, and so a lot of really good functions of systemic enzymes like ceratopeptidase, natokinase, right? There's a lot of them, bromelain uh, from pineapple, proteases, right? That these things that break down proteins. Now, the key with systemic enzymes is these are enzymes you take away from meals. You're probably familiar with digestive enzymes that you take with meals. They help to break down the food that's coming in. So you digest it better. 
With systemic enzymes, your goal is get them in the bloodstream. That's where they're going to do their best work. So you want to take them away from meals. So they're not used up trying to digest the food you're eating. So now they get into the system. That's where they're able to do their work. Turmeric, turmeric or curcumin has been well-studied to downregulate inflammatory pathways, things like tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6, uh, nuclear factor kappa-beta. It helps downregulate these inflammatory amplifying pathways, downregulates the amount of cytokines. And because of that, that's going to have a positive effect on your blood viscosity and your circulation. So turmeric is powerful. It's also a iron chelator. So um, it's a very mild iron chelator. Green tea is as well. Um, and quercetin, they're all mild iron chelators, but for some people, you know, they have high iron, taking a lot of that can help keep it in balance. You know, if you are anemic, I'm not overly concerned about consuming turmeric. I still think there's a lot of benefits there. Most of the time with anemia, it's usually due to, you know, excessive bleeding, which, you know, for, for a menstrual cycle, which oftentimes is related to insulin uh, resistance. And so turmeric and curcumin can help with that. Um, and sometimes uh, it's also related to poor nutrient absorption, right? Low stomach acid levels, gut infections, and turmeric, curcumin, green tea can all help with that as well. So it's really good across the board there. And then a resveratrol. Resveratrol is also a very powerful antioxidant that's great for the endothelial lining of the blood vessels, really helps them be more elastic and loose and uh, therefore have better blood flow and circulation. And you think about it, resveratrol quercetin, I could have included here as well. They're both in the skins, right? So you think about resveratrol, skin of grapes, blueberries, things like that. Um, and quercetin is as well, right? So you have things like elderberries, for example, that have resveratrol and quercetin, right? Um, cranberries. And so these kinds of things in the skin, the skin, anything, you know, those nutrients in the skin help with our blood vessels and our skin, right? So the endothelial linings, right? They, they help improve the function there. And so um, using resveratrol as a supplement, really, really helpful um, as far as helping improve overall blood flow. And you can get it in foods as well, like raw cacao, for example, dark berries like blueberries, pistachios have some, skin of red grapes, um, but you're just not gonna get the high, super high clinical doses. That's where you're gonna get in supplements. And so love resveratrol, one of my favorite personal supplements. And we have a product called Inflam Defense that we use with a lot of different people to help get bring inflammation down. Now, this isn't going to treat or cure, you know, blood clotting, right? And in most cases, you know, if you have significant blood clotting, you may need a medication for a short period of time. However, um, you know, this is going to help with overall good circulation, right? Good circulatory health, lymphatic function. It's going to help keep inflammation under control in your body and help your body respond better. It's got curcumin, it's got proteolytic enzymes, it's got uh, ginger, it's got boswellia, so powerful anti-inflammatory herbs. It's got resveratrol, quercetin in there, a lot of really good stuff. And so this is a go-to that we utilize. If you want to check out the Inflam Defense, it's on our website, on our store, and you can use the coupon code JOCKERS10 at checkout. That will save you 10% on the Inflamed Defense. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this training, went through a lot of stuff today, but hopefully you enjoyed it. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, now is the time to do it. And also hit the bell button. That way you get notified whenever we put up 
any training. So with that said, guys, everybody be blessed and we'll see you guys on a future online training. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.